We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. Welcome one, welcome all to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political apple, Kobe Monarca. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and political orchards in Diane and Tatton. Guys, how are you doing? Diane, you're back. Hello, I'm back. Yes, lovely holidays, but we don't want to talk about my holidays because I went away for a week and Boris Johnson's no longer an MP. Nicholas Sturgeon got arrested. Jacob Rees-Mogg is a sir. I mean, what happened? What happened? They waited for you to be sat drinking mojitos by the pool. Lovely listener, I want you to try, just try for a second to imagine the chaos at SPHQ, by which I mean the my boy's bedroom and my desk. When this is all happening, we don't have Diane. <laughs> it's lucky this webcam's not on at these points, or you'd see me weep, <laughs> weep and scream into the darkness. Not at all. Fortunately, we did have Charlotte, and Charlotte, as loyal listeners who were in last week will know, Charlotte's wonderful, and she managed to bring some sense of reasonableness to our posts which otherwise a Diane-less world would not have enjoyed. No, it, it all kicked off though, didn't it? It was, uh, yeah, interesting. As these breaking news alerts, which we've talked about on this podcast before, came in, did you just throw your phone into the pool? Uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Splunk. <laughs> I was maybe enjoying a glass of Friday wine at the time, um, was just things kept happening. <laughs> and as they did, I resorted to maybe topping up my glass again. <laughs> And then I got a call from BBC uh, News wanting me to come on and chat on BBC News. Oh, wow. And like that, I, I like I, I do a bit of TV, but not not BBC News particularly. So it was really nice yeah. that happened. But I had to say, I've, I've drunk too much <laughs> wine. I can't come on. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm sure you're not well, top of the pile the... for next time. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh no. Let's be fair. They called me and they've never called me before. So how many other people had said no first, <laughs> right? I was not top of their pile. We will get you on BBC uh, News next time. We'll just uh, give you some non-alcoholic beverages to enjoy up until like it's gone past the time to start calling people. I'm really good in the mornings. Yeah, Get me okay. on in the mornings. Yes, yeah, breakfast. BBC News, call them in the morning. Well, I mean, you've alluded to a bit of what's happened last week. One of my favourite 
posts of last week was it must have been you tatting saying everything's happened this weekend and i was gonna i was gonna enjoy this weekend and i can't remember what the post was but lots of people piled in and said hey it's all fun times and i thought it was quite a funny uh, post it's not made a top post this week when diane's away we do get slightly more jovial posts <laughs> that's not a bad thing <laughs> when it's just me i'm like ah, whatever <laughs> what, what, what is life, eh? Whereas Diane's like methodically bringing you the facts and the information. I'm going more for vibes. Vibes are good. We've got it was quite a packed week, as we talked about, and I think this has been the busiest it's been for a while in terms of uh, well comments and likes. But there's one post which we can't talk about right now because it's just been announced, and we are as we recorded half an hour ago. And it looks like it may well be a popular post. If it had happened in the week, we perhaps would have been talking about it. But I think it's important for us to touch upon now, I guess. Diane Tatton, what, what, you know what I'm talking about here. Right. So, yeah, half an hour ago, as we record, the report into whether Boris Johnson misled Parliament has come out. Now, this is a report that was put together by the Privileges Committee, who just made who there to kind of maintain standards. They're a relatively new version, of, but there's always been a committee like that around. And the point is, when Boris Johnson stood up and he told the House of Commons that everything was fine, that none of the rules were broken in number 10, was he misleading? Was he lying to the House? Originally... It was set up to ask, was he deliberately misleading? Mm. And then they changed the focus of the report because it's really hard to tell the intention. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't, I mean, to prove whether someone did something deliberately or not is almost impossible. So they went, right, we'll get rid of that. They set up this committee, this, this commission, and they did a report. And there was three or four hours of Boris Johnson in front of the committee. That was pretty amazing TV. And now the report's just come out. And despite being told they didn't have to look at deliberately, they've been, he deliberately misled the report is just he lied and he lied and he lied and he did so knowingly and he he lied to the commons and he lied to this committee and uh, it's it's brutal what they do with this report right and let's be fair they're a cross-party group of mps on this committee i know much has been made that harriet Harman is the chair but it's very much made up of lots of different people in fact probably more conservative mps than anything else on it four conservative mps yeah four out of seven what they have published they'll make recommendations for i guess what the sanctions should be but boris has already gone he's gone but they've said what should happen and they recommended a 90-day suspension which is unheard of right that's massive huge which is what he would have been faced with yeah although MPs will vote on that on whether to accept those recommendations but it's massive and part of why that's so big is because they're basically saying in this report um you know there's no other context for this there's no other time where you can kind of go back to and say a PM misled the commons it's just exciting times guys exciting times part of the point of this is that it's not the end of the world to mislead parliament inadvertently because there is a process to come back to the house and say i got listen i'm really sorry i got that wrong rules were broken in number 10 we we know this without a shadow of doubt we know that rules were broken in number 10 and he said that they weren't broken now if he had after that said in the light of Sue Gray, in the light of everything else. All right, then, when I said that, I was wrong. 
and I'm sorry for misleading the house at that point, that would show a level of contrition, maybe, or it would show a level of awareness. And because he didn't do that, we cannot expect all MPs or ministers to get things right every time they say something in the House of Commons. That's the nature of life, uh, especially if they're talking about other pe- how other people have behaved, because who knows how other people are behaving. But when it came out that he didn't go through that process, and we should move on to the regular podcast, but I would like to just read a couple of lines from Boris Johnson's response to this report. He says, thank you very much for the report. I'm so sorry for my behavior. I can see now that I was wrong. And, oh no, hang on, that's not what he says at all. (laughs) No, 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 (laughs) no. He says, that is a load of complete tripe. (sighs) He says that I do not have the slightest contempt for parliament. Uh, This is a dreadful day for MPs and for democracy. This report is a charade. The terrible truth is that it is not I who has twisted the truth to suit my purposes. It is Harriet Harman and her committee. And then it ends, but for the Privileges Committee to use its prerogatives in this anti-democratic way to bring about what is intended to be the final knife thrust in a protracted political assassination, that is beneath contempt. It is for the people of this country to decide who sits in Parliament, not Harriet Harman. Well, I mean, he's got away with words. I really enjoy reading his words out. I really yeah. enjoy it. It's like a GCSE text. <laughs> it is, yeah. I'm surprised the posts related to this haven't been a top three post of the week, but we'll talk about it in PM Works. We've talked about it a bit now. We will have by-elections to, to see what happens as a result. Of that. And, and I guess in some way, the people of those constituencies will vote as to what they think should happen with the people who have stepped down or resigned or whatever has happened. And that'll be interesting to see. But for now, we should head on to the most popular person this week. Number three, Tatton. Uh, right, number three is a fascinating little uh, little gem. A big report from Oxford University, from a group within Oxford University, published uh, a digital news report into various things about how we consume our news. Lots of it was that basically... People just don't want the news as much as they used to by quite a long way. And we did a post about our response to that because 14% of people in the UK now get their news from Instagram. And obviously, we reach millions a month. So we are there on when it says lots of people on Instagram, a part of it is that it's us. And I think that we do help people with news. But the post itself was a league table, a survey league table of which news outlets you trust. And it's... I suppose people call the mainstream media, broadcast and print. And the most trusted on 61%. So the most trusted only got 61% of people saying they trust it. And that was BBC News. Do you know what? I trust BBC News. The comments suggested that I'm a minority for that. A lot of people were like, BBC News, what's going on? This is so fascinating because we're going to come on to a story later, but we did a post about this awful abortion case we're going to talk about it in a minute. And someone put, there was only report in The Guardian at the start. And someone wrote on a comment, I can't find anything about this. Where, 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 can I, where can I read more? And I linked to The Guardian. And someone was immediately like, oh, what about, have you not got an impartial source on it? 
and I, I didn't get in a fight with them, but I just, I just thought, what link could I have said? Now, of course, the Guardian is a lefty paper. Like we all know that, and that's that. That's what it is. But there's no. This table shows that there's no, nowhere I could have linked to. Maybe <laughs> Yahoo News, AOL. That would have satisfied them. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't exist, and and this this really shows that. So over fifty percent was BBC News, Channel 4 News, Financial Times, The Guardian, ITV News, Regional Local News, Sky News. They were the ones over 50%. And then at the other end of the table, least trusted, the least trusted was The Sun, uh, which is interesting. I think The Sun's political team are quite good. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously tabloid journalism because it's the tabloid of the whole world. It's a tabloid in which the world's tabloids are based on. But I think that they're like, I don't, I, I trust their political journalism, even if I know it's got a spin on it. That didn't surprise me, really. Uh, it surprised me that the male was, was higher than the sun in that standing. But I would have put those two at the bottom. Let's go through it in order, because the sun got 13%. And then second lowest, and this cut me deep, was Talk TV, because I'm a regular on Talk TV. And I think maybe I've dragged it down. <laughs> no. And I, I apologise to Vanessa, uh, and I apologise to other people on Talk TV, because um, I'm sure without me, that had been at least 25. But I mean, remember, you, you said at the top of the show that BBC were calling you. So they they have branded mm. you. They've put you on the list of trustworthy people. Yeah, they were 70% before that call. <laughs> They're down to 61 now. You brought them, you're at 9%. You're a 9, you bring a 9% reduction to- uh... Yeah, I, I, I priced in. <laughs> and then, uh, so talk to me on 20, then, G, then, then the Daily Mirror on 23, and then the Daily Mail on 25, and then GB News on 28. It amazes me that GB News is more trustworthy than Talk TV. When GB News positions itself as a partisan campaigning kind of right-wing channel, whereas Talk TV is much more central. I mean, the Talk, Talk TV the, the describe themselves in terms of the Daily Mail as their kind of, their kind of center-right output rather than GB News. Anyway, listen, I find this stuff fascinating and could talk about it for the rest of the day, but I'm going to leave it there. I mean, what, a couple of points I want to make here is that, first of all, you're interested to see the demographics of who votes on this, because the BBC News, the BBC for me is still like the stalwart kingpin of trustworthiness. And But we've seen in recent years and months that ebbing away, people cutting away at that. So it'd be interesting to see the breakdown of what where that falls and you know how we've seen de different demographic breakdowns for polls before. I'd be interested to see how that breaks down based on you know, a simple age group cohort. As we talked about, as you said, the a lot of people get their news from the internet, not traditional news sources, so Twitter, Instagram, and podcasts. And I had a conversation with my mum a couple of weeks ago, and she asked if I watch the news, and I was like, no. I get everything I need from the internet, untraditional sources, and listen to podcasts. And I don't feel the need to be watching BBC News at six o'clock, you know, a 99 percent volume to get the get the news in, or have the content, the news constantly on my on the background, like a, a lot of people do. So it's in, I, again, it would be interesting how this would be is now compared to how it would have been 10 years ago as a comparison but it's, it's fascinating um, nonetheless just before we started recording this podcast i stepped outside into my back garden to get some fresh air and i could hear tvs from both my neighbors mm. on the news because this report come out people still bbc news people still when stuff happens they stick on rolling news on their telly, traditional broadcast, Sky, BBC, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the second most popular post this week? 
Okay, I'm going to talk about Boris Johnson again. Unbelievable. <laughs> Why is it unbelievable? We'll be talking about him until the end of days. He is woven through the fabric of every post. <laughs> anyway. We should just rename the page. <laughs> Simple Boris. No, just Boris Johnson, not just just Boris Johnson. <laughs> just Boris yeah. Johnson. There's not, yeah. nothing yeah. simple about. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so it's a bit of little bit of storytelling here. Boris Johnson, when he was prime minister, obviously we all remember he got COVID himself, spent time in hospital, and came back out of hospital with renewed vigor around health and well-being. Okay, so basically he had a bit of an epiphany while he had COVID himself and said he wanted to pursue some policies around health and well-being because he felt that he was more affected because he said he wasn't very fit when he when he had COVID. So, you know, you saw him starting to jog more, you, you know, all these things happened. And one of these policies was he wanted to ban multi-buy deals on foods that were high in fat, salt and sugar, which people do call junk food or, you know, whatever you want to call them. But foods high in fat, salt and sugar were something he wanted to say, I don't want these big end of aisle, buy one, get one free offers on. I want to stop that because it's going to be better for the nation's health. Okay. Now, he actually shelved that then in 2022 because cost of living, you know, people were struggling, still are to some extent. And he said it's not the right time to do it and kicked the can down the road till October this year when it's meant to come in. So Rishi now has the legacy of that policy and whether to go ahead with it in October. And it's a bit of a mixed message this week because at a Downing Street briefing, which they hold every day where journalists can talk to spokespeople and find out, you know, the latest thing, they asked about it. And it was very much, yes, we're planning to do this October. It's happening. So lots of news outlets covered it. And we reported on that, the fact that it was a goer. People had a lot to say about it. And then it was asked as a question in PMQs, very, very interesting the way the question was phrased by a conservative MP who called, I believe called it a socialist. Nanny state this nanny, nanny state, state that, basically. Yeah. And Rishi said, well, I haven't quite made a final decision. So he seemed to slightly backtrack probably since we posted and he read the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it's what's interesting is that I suppose, yeah, it's a ticking time bomb that um, Johnson has just set up for Sunak. I mean, he, if he had the chance now to go back and do it again, he'd put in several more than he has done. <laughs> but yes. uninten this was unintentional. <laughs> Sunak cannot duck this issue. It's happening in October unless Sunak stops it happening in October. So we can't just kind of like talk about it and then let it disappear into the long grass. A decision has to be made. I presume, because he's already backtracking on saying it's going to happen, I presume it will now, it will be delayed again, not scrapped, because that would be a bigger decision. You know, once it starts to be delayed into next year, you're getting towards the election, and then it'll be, oh, well, we'll allow, we'll allow it to be chosen after the election so the people can say what they want. I don't think it's going to happen. One of the priorities about cutting waiting lists and one of the ways to cut waiting lists is to have a healthier population. 
framing, scrapping this policy is going to be really hard for him. But also keeping this policy is going to be really hard for him. So it's a, it, watch this space. Fun times to be a prime minister. I'm keen to see how it goes. I'm definitely all for making it easier for people to eat more healthily. And I think a lot of the comments were saying, look, just can you make it easier for us to buy healthy food? So cheaper for us to buy healthy food. Because it's hard when you're on a limited income to not say, I'm going to buy the stuff that's aligned with my wallet. That, that's what's happening. What was the first most popular post this week? The first most popular post this week, I'm going to be quite brief on a woman, an unnamed woman has been sentenced to 28 months for taking abortion pills after the 24-week legal limit. It looks like it's a miserable, sad case. There are no sentencing guides around it. So the judge just had to make it up. It's a total state. As I said a moment ago, when this first happened, it was reported in The Guardian and Stella Creasy MP, who's a Labour MP, does a lot of work around uh, women's rights. This is not a Labour conservative issue. Lots of conservative, especially women, lots of conservative MPs have been speaking out about it as well. As we speak, there's a question in Parliament about it. It's a story that's really snowballing, and it's clear that action needs to be taken so we can work out proper, robust rules and understanding and support and what should the NHS be doing to help people and what should be like all of these things need to be worked out properly it's a difficult subject obviously it's a difficult subject and because it's a difficult subject it's one that doesn't get legislated on properly because no one wants it in the House of Commons because then they have to go in and talk about it and they have to share a view on it when they don't want to tell their constituents what they think about it because that polarizes constituents it's not dealt with properly, and it causes real actual harm. And I hope, I think, from this point, this awful case, and I hope she's looked after this woman as well as possible, will kick some action. And so when we start the next parliamentary term in October, probably, we can have some real thoughtful, sensitive, caring, robust legislation and guidance on abortion in the UK. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I said to the mailbag, what have the readers and listeners been asking for this week? Diane. I think this is quite a challenging question this week. It's from John oh. O on Instagram. It is, it is a tricky one. You might know Kit Forbes, I've heard of Kit Forbes. She was in the SNP leadership contest. She didn't win, Himza Yusuf won, but she was one of the, the, the candidates. She came second, didn't she? She came second, yeah. And she has spoken this week, she's done a bit of an interview, and she basically said that people of faith, people, religious people, are quite fearful of politics. And John wonders whether we agree with that, that people potentially who are religious, don't get involved in politics or don't share their own views. 
What an interesting question. Thanks, John. I, I, I'd like to say it's such an interesting question that uh, I've got a new book coming out. And the book is called uh, Politics But Better, An A to Z of a More Hopeful Future. And you can pre-order it right now on Amazon or Waterstones or if you Google Harbour Books in Whitstable, you can go there. G, it's an A to Z book, and G is for God because it's a real issue faith and politics. Our constitution, we have no pretense of a separation of church and state. As they do in the States is the comparison. As they do in the States. So the king is the head of parliament, right? And he's also the defender of the faith. He's also the head of the Church of England. Every day in the Commons and the Lord starts with prayers. Prayers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Every day they pray before they get started and some different bishop turns up, different person turns up and leads the common in prayers. It's the only part of the day that's not televised in parliament and there's no visitors allowed so i've never seen it but that's how they start every single day in the house of lords there's 12 of the most senior bishops and lords spiritual right and so the house of lords are embedded in there so we have faith and god especially church of england specifically faith and god running all the way through our system in a way that doesn't represent catholics or jews or Muslims, or any, any anybody else, or over half the country isn't religious, and they don't have a space where that's recognised either. And yet, people feel like Kate Forbes, quite right, quite d- genuinely, that it's not okay to talk about religious beliefs. So it's this kind of odd over-represent a group who have become simultaneously hugely overrepresented and also hugely underrepresented at the same time. And, you know, Kate Forbes was talking about children coming out of wedlock during the campaign, and that kicked up a lot of fuss, like you shouldn't be smooching unless you're married type things. She said, that's what I believe when I lead this party, because that's how you got to speak when you're, uh, when you're in an election campaign. When I lead this party, SNP policies will not reflect that because I'm not going to force my faith on anybody. And people were still very upset. You know, the Bible teaches us some things that do not fit with progressive politics. So if you are somebody who is of faith and believes strongly in what the Bible says... And other religious texts, I should interject here. And other religious texts, absolutely. It's difficult to be able to say that in public. There's no doubt about it. But it doesn't it doesn't stop you being able to represent the people who voted for you. You won't agree with a lot of stuff the people in your constituency say anyway, but you will stand for the SNP, you will stand for the Labour Conservative, whatever party you want, and you will go with the manifesto. The message that I see from Christianity, or I mean any of these religions, is just be good, just be a good person, just be like, that's, that's the message that the Quran and the Bible, like they both share, right? I think that people being afraid to say what they think is difficult. I think that it's absolutely right that people who aren't of faith or have a faith that's not C of E feel like they're not given prominence. I think it's it's a complete mess. And it's one we're never going to sort out. It's on nobody's agenda to redress the balance here. So I hope that... I mean, with this podcast, we are about peace and tolerance and love above everything else. And I support people of faith making statements. People feel they can't share their opinions on all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons. 
And I'm sorry that being of faith is one of those reasons. One important thing to know is that we're seeing more and more diversity in political spheres in different ways. And we're seeing that in, in representation of different people's faiths as well. Um, so that is that is definitely encouraging to see um, that. And that might be an indicator more than anything else that people are stepping more into that. You know, the, the head of the island, Humza Yousaf, for example, these are, these are people who are not of traditional Christian faiths come into politics and hopefully... Mayor of London. Yeah, exactly. So The Prime Minister. Yes, yes. I, I would also like to add, I think this is the most important point, B of my book, Politics for Better, available <laughs> to pre-order now, uh, is, is Boys Like Me. And it's about people, about how politicians look and sound like boys like me. And we need to change that. We need to change our representation. So just coincidentally, we've touched on G on the A to Z of my book, Politics But Better, available for order now, and B, boys like me. So there we go. Politics But Better, put it into Google. It'll come up. Pre-order it now. Pre-order one for a friend. Pre-order early and pre-order often. Let's head to the PM Watch. Well, I alluded to it at the top of this episode. It's been fun times for Rishi. The previous governments have been having fun and keep on impinging on his fun in ways which I find fascinating. Go on. Who wants to take a lead on this one? I think he must be having a bit of a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Rishi wants to talk about policies, doesn't he? He wants to talk about his ideas, his stuff. He wants to talk about tech and innovation and business because that's the stuff he's really into. Yeah. And people are talking about conservative infighting. People are talking about the people who still would line up behind Boris. Nadine Doris is hanging around saying she now will not leave until she gets an explanation about why she's not in the Lords. He is dealing with all sorts. And to pull all that back together as some kind of united piece with clear policies to the electorate, yeah, he's got a job on his hands. He really does. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's like it's like some fairy tale wish where you can have a wish, but then you don't get what you want. It's mm. like, oh, I wish to be PM. Okay, fine, but you can be PM in 2023. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, Boris aside, and there's all the report, everything that we, we you know we've discussed going on. Boris's honours list made quite the splash. We've still got Liz Trusses to come. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know. We don't know if it's just going to be, be Quasi Quateng. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Sorry, Quasi. <laughs> These honours lists are a relic of when you were prime minister for 10 years. If you, if you were PM, you'd come in, you'd do it for 10 years, and then you'd thank the people who came before you. Again, it's systems. We've spoken about uh, religion and the, its role in Parliament. We've spoken about abortion and the systems failing us because we're living in 2023 and they've been built over years and they don't, it's not responsive enough, it's not reactive enough, it's all out of date. We need a politics, but better. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> what is an honours list? What's it there for? Why is it, what, if, if we're going to have prime ministers chopping and changing like we are now, Boris Johnson's hairdresser and dog walkers both got gongs in this honours list. And they're really important roles for a prime minister. Like, they're really genuinely important roles and some kind of recognition's nice for them. But, but they only did it for a few years. Yeah, I mean, you're talking a carriage clock, a better stapler, I don't know. <laughs> sharper like, scissors, sharper hair yeah. scissors. You could say Johnson's team... And yes, lots of them have been fine for partying, but they were in number 10 during the pandemic, which was 
not fun, which was a very hard job. And maybe we could argue those three years of Brexit and then the pandemic means that the people who worked hard backstage deserve things. Maybe. Maybe that argument can be made. But a lot of people would say he was too short. He resigned in disgrace anyway. He shouldn't, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be able to have those honours. That's a genuine debate to have. Liz Truss was PM for 32 minutes. She just really tests those arguments. What is it about that time that, sh- that means she should have the honour of creating an honours list? And she would say, I was prime minister. Liz Truss is welcome to it. She was prime minister without shadow of a doubt. She was prime minister. And the rules are an outgoing prime minister can do an honours list because the rules are outdated. Sure, we might not like the rules, but those are the rules. It's then on her as to whether she can say, hand on heart, I deserve this. I'm going to do it. Or if she says... I'm going to back out. Or if she compromises and it's a very, very short list of people who really helped in whatever way. Relics of an old, old system that don't help us today. Let's head to the crystal ball, the final part of the podcast this week. I should start checking what crystal ball you guys predict versus what happens because it's Due to the nature of news, it inevitably never happens that way. If you to predict that Boris Johnson is going to step down from his position in Uxbridge as the Member of Parliament for this period, and then Nicola Sturgeon would be doing Nicola Sturgeon things, I would have been very impressed if you had put those any any of those on the docket. But uh, well, let's let's see what you've got this week. Boris Johnson. <laughs> let's just. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is going to carry on for a bit. The report will go to Parliament on Monday that's come out today, they'll all discuss it, they'll have a vote on the sanctions. It'll still hang around for a bit. When are these by-elections supposed to happen? Mid-July, I think, okay. mid-July. So it could get some pretty quick feedback, yeah. Two of them, because Nadine Doris is playing games. <laughs> so we don't know when that one might be. It might not be till the autumn now. The first two will be then. The Liberal Democrats love a by-election. They love, they love a by-election. One of their MPs was talking about mid-Bedfordshire in the Commons already this week, and that's Nadine Doris's seat. I mean, Nadine Doris has a majority of 25,000. If they could overturn that, it would be earth-shattering. So yeah, lots of by-election fun to have. Something that you might have not seen is the COVID inquiry, which is now up and running and taking evidence. It's starting off with pre-pandemic preparation. And next week, We've got George Osborne and David Cameron in front of the inquiry to talk about austerity and the impact that austerity had in the NHS being prepared for a pandemic. This is for purists, I know, but I am all in for that. <laughs> what a fascinating discussion. And, you know, what, what they will say about it looking back from this time on, will they go full Johnson and just defend everything they did? Or will they suggest like that this already the evidence in the front of the inquiry said maybe we didn't do everything we could. We just tried. Some of the government's opening statements was we're not never going to sit here in front of this inquiry and say we've been perfect. Oh, my God, it was hard. So I'd be absolutely fascinated to see that. And of course, 
the ashes are on. <laughs> so we've got the first ones in Birmingham. It starts today on Friday. And so if anyone wants me, you can catch me after England have been defeated. So probably by lunchtime on Friday. It's going to be a miserable time to be an England fan. So expect tears next week's podcast. Uh, also, today is Friday. When this comes out, today is Friday. And Team SP, we are having our summer drinks. Mm. So expect some badly spelt emotional posts coming out at you uh, on trains home. This is when the commenters come out, when you spell something, you've used the wrong grammar, you've not used the Oxford comma. What? That never happens, Kobe. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> we never use the Oxford comma. Thank you very much, Kobe. How dare you? Guys, it's been a pleasure. I will not see your faces next week because uh, next week I am away, not in an all-inclusive place in a different country. I'll be in a different place. I'm not going to tell you where. <laughs> Oh. Well, <laughs> have a great mystery trip, Kobe. <laughs> well, I'm, going, I'm just going. To, I'm going to Centre Park. So nothing that fancy, but taking the uh, seat will be uh, Charlotte making her return. Guys, treat her well. Everyone who's listening, treat her very well. There will be an episode next week, is what I'm saying, but it won't be voiced by me. Guys, it's been a pleasure as always to speak to you both. Catch you later. Bye. just heard a stripped media production. Hello, I'm Violet Manners and welcome to Hidden Heritage, the podcast that brings you inside Great Britain's favourite destinations. From the same team that brought you the number one history podcast, Duchess, Hidden Heritage will uncover the fascinating stories behind the UK's brightest, shining hidden gems. You'll hear from top experts in British heritage, including custodians, historians, artisans, experts, and even the craftsmen and restorers who've worked on some of the most celebrated historic buildings. We will share the untold and unique stories that celebrate UK heritage, from landmarks to architecture, artifacts to myths and legends, Hidden Heritage will highlight a side to British history you have never seen before. I'm your host, Violet Manners, and founder of Heritage X, and I invite you all to join us on this exciting journey. This is Hidden Heritage. You can find Hidden Heritage wherever you listen to your podcasts.